the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, and we'll be looking at Luke chapter 1, uh, and we'll be reading verses 39 uh, down through 56 uh, this morning. Luke chapter 1. This is the word of God then. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why is, and why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ear, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of your servant. For he, for behold, from now on all generations will be, yeah, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he is the mighty, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their, their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her for three months and returned to her home. Uh, Let me begin with a word of prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, uh, this is your word that you have uh, given to us. uh, First through Mary and then written down through your servant Luke. But it is your word. And Lord, we ask that you would feed us and strengthen us. Uh, Build us up, encourage us, correct us where we need correction through your word. Do all the things that you promised to do through your word. May you bring your Holy Spirit and may this be a light unto our feet. Lord, we just ask these things in your name. Amen. I want you to think for a minute about Christmas and the Christmas season. I want you to maybe in your mind ask yourself this. What was uh, the best Christmas present you ever received Uh, the best Christmas present that you ever received did you ever get one of those uh, Christmas presents that that made you blush Uh, that 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 you were just kind of in awe of that that maybe you said to the person oh you you shouldn't have or or maybe you just kind of did wow this is this is too much and 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 either sincerely or half-heartedly said I I could never uh, accept this gift you just had that, that sense of they picked the one thing that I wanted or the one thing maybe that I wouldn't have imagined uh, getting for, for myself, but it, it fits who I am perfectly. Uh, the kind of present that, that makes you feel blessed. And then as you reflect on, on who it is that, that gave this gift to you, someone very special, it just kind of humbles you that they would think of you uh, in that way. Ultimately... 
Jesus, of course, is, is that one true present uh, that we don't deserve. Uh, he is sent from God. He is God the Son in flesh, come as a baby for us and, and to save us. Last week, of course, we, we talked about how uh, Mary is blessed, how it was God's grace on Mary that God would choose her uh, to bear baby Jesus. And of course, we have in this passage the words of Elizabeth greeting Mary and saying how the baby jumped and she said, uh, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of the word that was spoken to her. Mary believed when God, through an angel, sent his word about this baby Jesus who was in her womb. We need to be humble when God blesses us. We see Mary having humility over this blessing that God had given her. She was truly blessed of God, but she did not take it for granted. You don't see her uh, tutting around or strutting around and, and being like, ah, I'm better than all of you ladies because this baby in me is the Messiah. We need to be humble when God blesses us. And so this morning, the work of God in us should produce humility. When we see the grace of God, when we see all that God has done, and when we understand that He didn't have to do this, and we understand the depths of our sin, rather than being boastful, rather than saying to unbelievers, well, you know, God has saved me, it makes us humble. It makes us appreciate what we have. It makes us appreciate the, the vastness between what we really deserve and on the other hand, what God has actually given us that is so far sufficient to meet our needs. It extends beyond our needs. But it also extends beyond what we really deserve. It's that gift that, that makes us feel blessed. Be humble this morning. Be humble by acknowledging how God is great, but He has looked upon us. John Calvin has this saying in his institutes, in this book uh, that he writes. It's a, it's a basic theology, an introduction to the Christian life, that, that, that the more we ponder the greatness of God, the more we will understand our lowliness. And the more we look at our own lowliness and who we are, the more we will in turn also reflect on the, the greatness of God. And we see this in, in Mary's prayer here, or in Mary's uh, Magnificat, her hymn that she, she rehearses to the Lord. Mary starts out with worship and she lifts up God. She begins with God and how great He is. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. This is a, a lifting up, an acknowledging of the greatness of God. Uh, this does not mean that you know God is small and she takes out a magnifying glass and, and somehow makes Him bigger. This is, this is announcing the greatness of God. I'm, I'm going to say all that I can about Him and how big He is and how wonderful He is. She starts with worship. When we come before the Lord, we need to start with worship. 
that sense of awe, that sense of God is majestic. God is infinite. God is so much bigger than me that I can never fully get my mind around Him. I would not even be able to understand Him if He hadn't stooped down and and revealed Himself in the Word and in the Lord Jesus Christ. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in the Lord. One of the symptoms I think that we have in our day and age is we, we don't understand and we don't reflect on the bigness of God, the, the majesty of God, the transcendent glory that we look to Him and raise our hands and just magnify Him because that's all that we can do. Then Mary moves on and, and she acknowledges her own lowliness. So there's this dynamic going on, this making God big, describing Him for who He is, and then reflecting on our own lowliness. Look at verse 48. For He has looked on the humble estate of His servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Mary did not think that because of what she was being called to do, because she was having this virgin birth with baby Jesus in her womb, she did not think that she was somehow better than everyone else. In fact, it made her even more humble. Think about that for a moment. She understood the riches of God's blessing. And rather than, than saying before her, her uh, cousin Elizabeth, well, you know, I really am blessed here and, and I am just so privileged. It's such wonderful experience. Look, look at me and what God has given me. She says, wow. God looked upon me in my lowly estate. In my humble estate. In other words, he saw that, that I was just this young girl, just this common woman. I am not uh, from a rich family. I am not from uh, a house of kings, although she is part of the line of David. She wasn't living in riches or in a castle or in a, in a um, fancy uh, chateau. He looked upon me. Why, why should I get this, this blessing? God was just great in what He did. It's a, it's a way of saying, I, I don't deserve this, but God was good. It's the same sort of thing that we should look at when we see the salvation that God has given us. I don't deserve this. I am lowly. Not only am I lowly as just a human being, yes, I'm made in God's image, but, but I'm a person formed from the dust. I'm also lowly in my sin. That it separates me from God. That it deserves the wrath of God. And yet He should look upon us and bless us with salvation. What have we ever done to deserve it? The answer is nothing. Nothing at all. There's a lot going on in this passage, but some of this, some of the language here, it sort of echoes what Hannah says. Remember Hannah, uh, the mother of Samuel, who 
who is crying out to the Lord uh, because her womb is, is barren, because she can't have a child. And she says in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 11, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give your servant a son, then I will give to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. When they translate that uh, into Greek, when they take it from the original Hebrew, and I've mentioned this in some of the other weeks, the, the Greek Old Testament that was made before uh, the time of Jesus and Mary, they actually use the same word that Mary is talking about, this, this humble, lowly estate. Hannah is just this lowly woman who has this, this deep need from God, and she's just begging God to, to give this gift to her. Mary, describing herself, I am just this lowly, common, simple woman that God would give me such a blessing. So we see Mary then acknowledges what God has done for her, that He has done something great. Look at verse 49. For He who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is His name. What amazes me as we look through this passage is the riches of the Old Testament here. Mary knew her Bible. Um, We assume she went to synagogue or the temple or something where she must have regularly heard the Word of God because there are just so many psalms that are reflected here in her language. Uh, And I I almost ran out of space quoting all of of these. But, But let me just read a few. Psalm 89 verse 8. O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you. Or Psalm 126, verses 2 and 3. Then our mouths were filled with laughter and our tongues with shouts of joy. And they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things and we are glad. Mary saying, for he who is mighty has done great things for me. And my soul rejoices. It's, it's another way, you know, she's exalting God. She's, she's saying, I am glad. It's interesting she says he has done the plural here. He has done great things for me. She is reflecting on the greatness of God in her life in more than just the virgin birth. In more than just sending the Messiah into her womb. That would be great thing. That would be one She's talking about the extensiveness of of what God has done for her. Maybe she has particular circumstances from her life in mind, ways that he has provided for her. She may just have in mind just the riches of, of salvation that she knows she has. She may be thinking about all of the history of the Old Testament. She's part of the people of God. That even though she wasn't there at the Exodus or the other times God saved his people, she gets the benefits of that. She's alive there in that moment because God made great promises to his people. And now he's again going to fulfill a great promise, and that is he is sending a Savior. Do you and I reflect on the work that God has done for us? That we can say, even though uh, none of us here today are carrying Jesus in our womb, we can look back at the birth of Jesus and say, God has done great things for us. He sent a Savior. 
The Son of God Himself came down and took on human flesh so that we could be saved. Counting our blessings produces humility. You know the hymn well, I think, uh, but let me just remind you of the words. Count when upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord hath done. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, What do you have that you did not receive? And when you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? God is the Mighty One. God is the One who who stoops down and and sees us in our lowliness and comes to, to dwell in our midst. God is the one that in various points and stages of our life comes down and and we might be making a mess of things and we are just these lowly people. But God answers prayer. Or God does something in your life. Or God gives you some blessing. The greatest one of all is salvation. But many other blessings from there. Has that produced in you a spirit of thankfulness? As you come to the Christmas season, why are you giving gifts? Why are you looking for gifts? Is it producing humility? Isaiah 57.15 says this about God, Thus says the One who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in a high and holy place, also with, the, with Him who is contrite and lowly, Spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. God is this great and mighty God. He is on this this throne with this robe of glory that trails out of heaven itself. This angels are coming before him, worshiping him. It's this great throne celebration. And then it says, but he also is with the human, the lowly person, the person who humbles themselves, who, who seeks His face out of humility, who says to God, you know, God, I need You because I cannot do this. The person who is maybe at the end of their emotional rope, lowly in spirit, and says just to God, help me. God says, I come down and I dwell with that person. I, I hear their cries. This is so opposite of how we are taught to think, how culture bombards us with this idea that, that humility is a bad thing. You, you watch football maybe, or any sport really, and, and the person who scores, uh, the player who, who has a phenomenal game, what do they talk about afterwards typically? How do they how do they brag? How do they showboat? Now there's you know there's nothing wrong with with scoring a touchdown or making a basket and getting excited. And you'll sometimes see players, you know, they'll they'll do a quick thank you to the Lord, and that's a good thing. But typically we have a culture around us, whether it's in sports or musicians, pop stars, uh, even our political leaders, where how do you Make yourself to be appreciated. How do you make yourself big? How do you get noticed? You have to brag. 
You have to be somebody. You have to, you have, to have some swagger in the way that you conduct your, ourselves. And, and humility is seen as a sign of weakness and maybe something that your, that your political foes or your enemies or your rivals can take advantage of. They can push you down even more. But God is a God who delights when people are humble. Scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. We're supposed to be people who, who see who we are and say, at the end of the day, I am a nobody. And everything that I have or everything that I accomplish, it's not me. It's a gift of God. Mary has that kind of attitude. The virgin birth. It's not me. The fact that God chose her to carry Jesus in her womb. It's not me. We need to be a people who say, God is great. It's not me. And even when God does great things through me, God is great. It's not me. He didn't choose me because I'm special, because I'm better than everybody else. In fact, I am the worst of sinners, as Paul says, and yet God uses me. And Paul even tells us, have this attitude, or this is a trustworthy saying, actually, he says, God, Christ came to save sinners, of which I am the worst. It's not me. Second, this morning, be humble because God makes low and raises up. Uh, so we are to come before God with irreverent fear and find mercy. Luke chapter 1, verse 50. For his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Again, there's some echoes of, of the Old Testament here. Uh, mercy is, is the way that the translators often translate that phrase we looked at, I think, two weeks ago. Steadfast love. That God hears the cries of his people and he has, he, he has this covenant love, this steadfast love, this mercy that he pours out. And so Psalm 33 verse 18 says, The eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love or his mercy. For as high as the, Psalm 103 verse 11, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so his steadfast love or his mercy is towards those who fear him. Psalm 118 verse 4, let those who fear the Lord say his steadfast love or his mercy endures forever. This is not fear in the sense of, of cowering, of, of terror. Uh, I imagine that, that the people that were in California this week experienced fear in the sense of sheer and utter terror. And certainly, if we live in sin and reject God, we should have a fear of the judgment. But the fear of the Lord is this idea of standing before Him in all where we bow down at His majesty. It is this idea of of reverent awe. That, that just as you, you would not go to England 
and show up at Buckingham Palace and just kind of swagger into the presence of the queen and say, high five, queen, how you doing? You would not approach God in, in such an irreverent manner. Now, God does in the work of Jesus call us his friend. We do have a relationship him, with him. We have all sorts of privileges. We can go before him. And yet, we always need to remember who he is. And we need to have an awe, a fear of that, a sense of, of his majesty, that his mercy is for those who fear him. You see, the person who who fears the Lord says, I'm a sinner. And God could judge me for my sins. And I know He has the power to do that. And all I can do is, is get down on my knees and say, God, have mercy, forgive me. It, it's, it's throwing yourself at the mercy of the court and saying, God, you have no reason to forgive me. Nothing in me can make you forgive me. But God, just, just show me your mercy. Just, just wipe away this sin. Just deliver me. It, it's like when you're careening down a mountain and all you can do is cry, help, so that someone might hear you and stop you. That's the fear of the Lord and turning to His mercy. And it says His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation, that God delights when we turn and look for that mercy. Because when we look for that mercy, we have to be humble. We have to say, yeah, this is who I really am. And it's bad. So God then works His mighty arm for for both salvation and for judgment. Look at verses 51 to 53. He has shown His strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and He has exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich He has sent away empty. We could reflect on a lot of Old Testament verses here. Psalm 98, which was on the PowerPoint before we started the service this morning. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. For he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm worked salvation for him. Deuteronomy, speaking of how God brought his people out of Israel, it says he heard their voice and saw our affliction and our oppression. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm that that God is Think of, think of like the pro wrestler with the, the big guns on their arms. And, and, and you know, they, they've got power. God, the, the imagery here, the, the metaphor is God has an arm. And He swoops down and, and just flexes it and grabs His people. And here's this, this oppressive king who has all this power, the Pharaoh. And God humbles him. God makes him a nobody to show that he is God and and these are his people. And he does that by he flexes his mighty arm. He's a powerful God. He's a great God who can save his people. So many times in Scripture and so many times in our life, we rely on our own strength. We rely on our own power, on our own big arms. 
And scripture wants us, or scripture teaches us that the Lord wants us to be humble, to call out to Him, to rely on His outstretched arms. You can hear the language in what Mary says. You can hear the echoes of what Sarah or what Hannah said in 1 Samuel chapter 2. This is the prayer of Hannah. And those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, and those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. You can see this in verse 53. And he filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he sent away empty. Verse 6 of uh, chapter 2 of 1 Samuel. The Lord kills and brings to life. The Lord brings down to Sheol or the grave and He raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and He exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts up the needy from the ash heap and makes them to sit with princes and inherit the seat of honor. This is the way that God works. The person that is lowly and humble and cries out to God and says, God, I need you. God swoops down and has this compassion and this mercy and he lifts them up. The person that that puffs themselves up and lifts themselves up and says, you know, I, I am great and mighty. I can be like God. God humbles. It's the way that God works. It's like a reversal all the time. Think of a, a great example is, is Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. And he goes out onto his porch one day and he royal palace on the roof and he, he looks over uh, the entire city of Babylon. And, and Babylon in, in its glory would be like you know, New York City in its glory. Just an amazing city. Maybe you don't like New York. I don't know. Pick another city. Just, just hustle and bustle. And, and for the king to be like, I built this and I rule over this and this is mine. And then the empire of Babylon that extends out from the city of Babylon. I mean, it it covered, in a sense, pretty much the whole known world at the time. It didn't cover literally the whole world, but I mean, it was the biggest empire of its day. It was huge. And Nebuchadnezzar says, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty? Great power I have, he says. And God says, in effect, you fool. I'm going to take this from you. And he humbles I mean, he really humbles Nebuchadnezzar. Seven years, Nebuchadnezzar walks around crazy, like certifiably crazy, eating grass on like a cow. Uh, it says that his, his hair grows long and it becomes like eagle's feather. You know how eagles have, you know when their feathers get wet and they're nasty and they're smelly and they're, they're dandery looking? Uh, imagine his hair being like that. And imagine every day people walking by and who's that guy out in the field? Oh, that's King Nebuchadnezzar. Ooh, okay. Could, could you imagine if, you know, like Sunday you drive into church and there's, there I am out, out in the field and I'm not walking the dog, but I'm down on all fours and I'm, I'm chewing grass. I, I mean, you would be calling some people really quick. Like, 
um, how do we lock this guy up? Where do we get him some help? Is there some medication he needs to be on? But this is what God does to Nebuchadnezzar, not because God is cruel, but because Nebuchadnezzar said, I am great and mighty and powerful and have all this glory. And God says, yeah, not really. In fact, at the end of his life, or after Nebuchadnezzar, in the grace of God, Nebuchadnezzar is allowed to come out of this. And Nebuchadnezzar acknowledges the majesty of God. He says, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol the honor of the king of heaven. For all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. You ever hear of the school of hard knocks? You know, you learn something the hard way. Nebuchadnezzar learned something the hard way. How much easier would it be for us to humble ourselves and learn the easy way that God delights in humility and Christmas of all seasons where the Lord Jesus comes down into that manger humbling himself is the season that we should have humility. Then third this morning, be humble because God is gracious in keeping his promises. Here again, we get into this idea that, that in salvation, I have nothing that I contribute. That, that God keeps his word not because I am good and smart and strong and desirable that, that God would want me. But God keeps his word even when I sin and go astray and he sends a Savior because he makes a promise. When God makes a promise, He keeps His promise. So, so Mary reflects on how God is keeping His Word. And, and so Mary is the type of person, she, she trusts God. She hears from this angel, and, and Elizabeth says, you are blessed because you believed His Word. Think about that. She heard the angel say, you are going to have a virgin birth. Had never happened before in all of history. And, and she says, okay, God said it. It's going to happen. She knows God. And she knows God keeps his promises. Look at verse 54 and 55. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And he has spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring. So again, you can reflect on Psalm 98 a little bit. That passage where he works his holy arm for salvation. It says in verse 3, he has remembered his mercy or his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. In the Old Testament, various places, Israel is called God's servant. Not because she's a particularly good servant. She often messes up beyond belief. But she is called God's servant because God had a special plan for her. That, that through her the Messiah would come and she would be a, a light to the nations. And ultimately, because the Messiah would come through her salvation, would go to the ends of the earth. She, she served a plan and a purpose. And out of that serving God, God also saves her. Again, not because she's good, 
but because God is going to use her. So Isaiah 41, verses 8 and 9, But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of, of Abraham, same language that Mary is using, you who have to, I took to, from the ends of the earth and called from the farthest corners, that same language of redeeming, saying to you, you are my servant, I have chosen you, and I will not cast you off. Meaning, I'll remember what I said I would do. I'm not going to throw you away. Isaiah 44, 21 and 22. Remember these things, O, uh, these things, O Jacob and Israel. For you are my servant and I formed you. You are my servant, O Israel. You will not be forgotten by me. I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like mist. Return to me. For I have redeemed you. Micah chapter 7 verse 2. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love or mercy to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from days of old. God always remembers. And God ultimately remembers in the gospel that he made a promise that he would save a people unto himself that He would send His Son who would die on the cross to save us, to blot out our sins and our transgressions. The mercy of God is dependent not upon us because we don't deserve it. The mercy of God hangs on the character of God that He makes this promise and He says, the only reason I'm not going to break it is because I made a promise. You break My Word hundreds of thousands of times. But I made a promise. And He brings it in the Gospel so that the Lord Jesus Christ comes as a lowly baby and shows in His earthly life perfect humility. And God exalts Him above all of creation. I had a bunch more verses from Isaiah. Uh, Let me just read a couple. Isaiah 52, verse 10. The Lord has bared His holy arm before the eyes of all nations and the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of my God. And then skip two verses. Isaiah 52, verses 13 and 14. Behold my servant. Now he's talking about Jesus. My servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. And as many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond any human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. And then we go into Psalm 53, which is the suffering servant who redeems us. The picture here is that Jesus Christ is lowly. And he gets so low in his humility that he dies this horrible death, that his form is disfigured, that that people are spitting on him and mocking him while he is on the cross, and, and he is suffering so much he doesn't even look like a human being. He is an object to be pitied. And yet he is the Son of God. And God after the Son dies, raises Him up 
and says, Come, sit at My right hand. Reign over all creation. So now the Son of God who is eternal gets a resurrected human body and He comes up into the presence of God. And and this is the Gospel that those who look upon Jesus will be saved. Because He is a Savior who died on the cross and He is a Lord who is resurrected from the dead and exalted at the right hand of the Father. And, And none of this is possible without Christmas. And none of this is possible without God keeping His promise. And none of this is possible if God was not a God who exalts the humble and humbles the exalted. And He carries forth this pattern ultimately in the Lord Jesus. Paul comes back to us in the book of Philippians and he says, have this attitude in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, that although He was the form of God and equal with God, He did not use this equality with God to His own advantage, but He humbled Himself, taking on the form of a servant. He humbled Himself even unto death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted Him and gave Him the name which is above all names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That is the pattern. And that is what Mary is reflecting on. And that makes Mary, and that should make us, even more humble. That God, Just like Hannah prayed, God gave strength to His anointed one, the Messiah. When you think of the Christmas manger, think of the humility of Jesus. But Jesus gets even more humble, even more lowly than He was as a a little baby. You know how babies are and they they have nothing and they need every moment of attention. They cannot survive without a human guardian. Jesus, who upholds the mighty universe, becomes a little baby so much in His humanity so that if Mary had not nursed baby Jesus, He would not survive. That is humble. And yet Jesus gets even more humble when He goes to die for us. And that is the Gospel. And that is why we should sing like Mary, my soul magnifies God. And as we magnify God, we see Him who got so humble, it it becomes this motivation. Wow! If God, who didn't need to be humble, is humble in the Lord Jesus Christ, How much more should I, as a human being, how much more should I, as lowly dust, be humble before God and humble in my relationship with others? May the Lord work in us a spirit of humility, particularly during the Christmas season. Let's pray this morning.
our great God and, and precious Savior. We just come before you into your presence and ask that you would work in us a spirit of humility. Even in the day-to-day and the going forth in all of the, the good gifts of salvation that we have, that, that our life is hidden with Christ, in that sense we are raised up with Him, even then, Lord, make us more humble. The way we treat others, the way we talk to the unsaved, the lost, that they need You just as much as we need You. Work in us as we deal with our husbands, our wives, our family, our friends, our loved ones here at church. Cultivate humility in our relationships. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen.